Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about squatters' rights. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, they pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we are talking about 2005's Chris Columbus-directed Rent, the adaptation of the musical of the same name. You should watch this movie. I mean, yeah, I don't. Of course, you should watch this, this movie. This movie is phenomenal. I, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't and seen you haven't this? seen this movie, who the fuck are you? What what's going on? What rock have you been living under? Yeah. <laughs> How did you find us? Right. That that seems weird. If for some reason you have been avoiding music, you've been avoiding musicals at all costs because you are a strange and unusual person. Uh, the plot of this movie is pretty light. It's a character-driven movie. It is about a queer friend group living in New York in the late 1980s during the AIDS epidemic and all of the things that happen with them. You can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thank you and enjoy. I have a controversial question for you. Oh, goodness. Okay. Is Mark from this movie an egg? Huh. In 10 years, is Mark a woman? Huh. I don't think so. I see where you're getting the vibes. <laughs> like, I can, I can, like, definitely see where egg vibes come in. Uh-huh. I think he's just a closeted bisexual. That's true. Yeah, I, I always fully read him as bisexual. Oh, I did too. Mark, it's but the that's scarf. Because it's of scarf. Anth- and also Anthony Rapp. Rapp. <laughs> and like, I always just read Roger as the token straight friend in this friend group. Yeah, me too. Because like, there has to be one. And right. this friend group is too big to have more than one straight person in it. But like, I don't, I, I can see Mark being non-binary but i don't think he's a woman that's fair i don't know what book gave me that impression but just this time in particular i it's because he's in love with a lesbian right i mean which was a thing that happened to me before i came out a lot i get that i was in love with a lot of gay guys before i came out i get it and uh, yeah it just made me be like "Hmm, is that a thing or are you really in a queer friend group if you can't cast your entire friend group in Rent? <laughs> no. Wait, who would? It doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't have enough friends. We <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong about that. Maybe when we were in Seattle, maybe. Oh, but... yeah. I think we could cast our friend group from Seattle. If I can include, like, everybody I was friends with in Seattle, whether or not they still live there. Right. But now. Yeah. I don't have any friends here. Nope. (laughs) This movie was so important to me growing up. Like. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the elephant in the room for us talking about this movie, huh? Yeah. It's like both of us hit this at such, like. This was the first time that I saw queerness in any form. Like, because you, I mean, you must have seen this movie pretty young. Yeah, it came out in 2005. Right. I think I you were 
11. I was 11. I don't think I really saw it until I was like 12 or 13. But still, that's but pretty still, young. But still, that's pretty young. And like, I remember having like a concept of queerness. Like, I knew what it was, but like I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just going, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. 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 No. Oh no. Because <laughs> oh, no. yeah, like I can't think of another piece of media that had any queer representation before Rent that I would have interacted with. Yeah, as a as a eleven or twelve year old. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And like. You probably want, weren't watching a lot of Will and Grace. No. In the fourth grade. Or I didn't whatever. have cable. Right. Yeah, I didn't have I cable. I always forget that you were like a PBS kid because you didn't have cable. Yeah, so like I didn't really. So like movies were really it for me. Yeah. And like Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. I don't think I have seen a. Queerness in a Saturday morning cartoon until like two years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> the twenty twenties. Exactly. So like, I latched onto this movie in a way that like I didn't understand until much later in my life. Yeah. But like, I just hit so hard, and I it still does. It is still one of my comfort movies. Yeah. It still like is one of my I feel like this also like set so many expectations of what I wanted my life to be like. Yeah. I think I feel like this is like a really bad movie. I don't mean I'm going to say a thing and it's going to sound like I turned into fucking like uh Ben Shapiro all of a sudden. <laughs> but I don't mean it th- that way. Let me explain. Like, this is a bad movie to expose teenagers to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> only because it enforces a lot of stupid teenager beliefs. Yeah, it does. About how, like, consequences don't mean anything and fuck all that and, like, just do, just live for right now and, like, don't worry about the future at all. It's like, whoa, whoa, you are 17. You do not need that message. That's already what your brain is screaming at you. Shut the fuck up. Life has consequences. Like, <laughs> like not even that. I just like. I won't. <laughs> Shut up and pay your rent. <laughs> <laughs> pay your rent. I mean, like, I want to live with a bunch of artists in a cool neighborhood that. Right. With a great. Support. In a giant empty loft. Right. God, I still want that apartment. It's so. Oh, it's amazing. It's such a good apartment. <sighs> it's truly one of the great tragedies of our time that. Like artist loft apartments now cost twenty five hundred dollars a month. Right, are no longer accessible in any place to any artist ever. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Cause like, geez, those the high ceilings and the exposed brick and the fire escape and the big windows, the big windows and the skylights, the roof access, the dream. <sighs> the whole fucking dream. The whole dream. What is it about, like, there? there's something romantic about, like, New York movies and fire escapes? I 
don't know what it is about the fire escape. If it's just like the New York version of having a, like a deck, right? Yeah. Or I don't. Mm. I know in my case, I blame West Side Story. Right. And Newsies, too. And Newsies. Like, I'm saying every New York, like, movie, anything, like, they fucking love those fucking, like, uh, fire escapes. And now I want one because of so bad stupid (laughs) movies. I just want a big queer friend group like this. This seems like such a, like. Yeah. I miss having a big friend group. Yeah. I miss friends. (laughs) We cannot spend this whole episode complaining about how lonely we are. I know, but this is like... It's not what people come to the show for. (laughs) I know. But like, this whole movie is about friendship and like found family. And it's something that I'm like, because we've moved so recently and it's been so hard to find. Yeah. I feel like this movie just like, this movie made me miss Seattle so much. So much. And like... I, cause like, I feel like I had found, like I had been chasing that high of like trying to find that like queer friend group found family. And I feel like, and like I was, you're so close to having it in Seattle. Yeah. And then we just could not afford to live there. We couldn't, which is like the heartbreak of having to move back home has been rough. Yeah. It's tough. And. You're not living with your parents. That's true. (laughs) Speaking of. I relate to Mark so heavily in that <laughs> opening scene. Oh, yeah. I know exactly the one where you Where his parents call mm-hmm. and leave a voicemail. Yep. And that, that line of like, when we're freezing and starving and I'm wondering what the fuck I'm doing here. And then they call. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's me and like the um, the Facebook group. About my home for my hometown. <laughs> There's like a Facebook group because I think they probably haven't gotten next door yet. I think there hasn't reached them. Right. Every time I'm like, oh, fucking failing. Like my life is shambles. Like I wanted to be this like, you know, incredible, impressive, like comedian, performer person. And I'm just like scrounging around doing whatever. And then I go and look and see, like, all the people that I went to high school with, like, you know, complaining that they're putting in bike lanes. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm fucking killing it. I'm, so <laughs> I'm crushing it, honestly. Like, you got six kids in an unhappy marriage that started when you were 18. Like, I fucking nailed it. You know, I killed it. Yeah. In terms of where I came from. That's true. Why do people get upset about bike lanes? I don't know. I truly don't know. It's because of the right, it's it's just it all comes it always comes back to privilege. Right. Right? Like car drivers have privilege in the same way that white people have privilege. And then like You know, like, I'm sure you've seen this type of video where, like, a pedestrian just is trying to cross the street and maybe makes 
an, a not great choice, but is just trying to do their best across right. the street. And drivers are like, how fucking dare you? I'm driving my giant metal vehicle and you, a tiny fleshy human being, have inconvenienced me for a mere moment. It's just that same privilege of like, I've never had to consider anyone else. And now I'm faced with the idea that actually I what I've been doing is being inconsiderate this whole time. Yeah, that's true. And that makes me uncomfortable. So I would like not to do that. I don't want to think about others people. Right. I'm an American. I should never have to think about other people. That's the American dream. No empathy ever. That should be our new Oh, capitalism. So this movie came out in 2005. I was 15. And, like, I knew then that I was queer. I came out to my mom when I was, like, 13. I knew that I was gay from, like, the time I was very young. It was very hard to explain to people because I dated women. Right. <laughs> right. For so long. I mean, almost exclusively. And, um, yeah, I remember when I was, like, 12 or 13, 13 or 14, maybe. I was in middle school. And I heard somebody was gossiping because somebody in my middle school had come out as bisexual. And they were like, oh, did you hear so-and-so is bisexual? And I literally didn't even think about it. It wasn't like a thought that I had of like, oh, I should tell this person. It was just like, as soon as I heard the word, I was like, oh, me too. You know, it was like, it just like fell out. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a word for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think oh, lots of people are pretty, not just women or men. And then, but like that was sort of the end of it was right. like, okay, I know that that's there, but like we're kind of filing it in the back. Right. Because it's not really relevant. I still liked girls. So it was like not really an impediment to my everyday life. Right. And then I saw this movie and it truly like broke my brain open as to what like queerness meant yeah and like as to what it means to be queer and to be a queer person living you know and dealing with our history and like the many different ways to be queer and like the act of queering straight things and straight spaces being like you know a laudable goal yeah as a thing like this movie is very very much advocates for like queer up your local neighborhood yeah absolutely um which just yeah i mean kind of broke everything and like i think was probably the one of the first big like you know one of the first big building blocks in the like gender yeah thing yeah the way I connected to Angel growing up mm-hmm. was something that I like never understood why I loved them so much mm-hmm. and like what Angel is still gender goals for me these days. <laughs> totally. Like, like I feel like that was the first taste of gender envy I ever got. I was like, oh, I want to be pretty. I want to be pretty like that. I want to like, yeah. this is what I want. And like, I had never, it had never been an option. It had never been like being trans or gender nonconforming or like any of it 
Like, I don't even think I had, like, a concept of drag at that point. No, yeah. And, like, it was earth-shattering in a way that, like, it took me years to figure out. Totally. Because, like, I didn't... I had a friend who came out as... They identified as a lesbian at the time. Uh, we both ended up being trans mask, uh, which is hysterical. Funny. But they were one of they came out as a lesbian when we were in middle school, and they were like the first gay person that I knew. And I remember like being obsessed with trying to figure out. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to like. And I never like, you know, I like I didn't know why I wanted to know everything. I was just like, I was just like, I've never it was I always thought it was like, oh, I've just never known anyone who's gay. So and I'm curious and I just like want to ask you everything. But it was because I was gay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't come out as queer until I was 16, 17. It took me a long time. And to the point of where it was like all of my friends were like yeah we know (laughs) and i was like why didn't any of you tell me yeah like that would have been helpful i because so let's talk about the chris columbus of it all oh chris columbus because like okay so we were talking about this before the mics were on i was reading some of the rotten tomatoes reviews right because it is not especially well reviewed by critics, which was surprising to me. Yeah. Like it's not anything special. Right. Like in a like a film sense. Like it's pretty like there's no really interesting shots. The lighting's pretty standard. Right. It's very like But that's also not what Chris Columbus no, does. No, he doesn't really do fancy film work. No. But like the thing that he does do really well that I think this movie really captures is this kind of like light effervescent, like kind of magical feeling. Yeah. He brings a world to life in a way that like not, I feel like he really helps you like dive into the worlds he builds in a way that is a lot more subtle than people are expecting. Yeah. And like the effortless magic that he puts into it. Yeah. Even looking back at Harry Potter, like the world is like the magic within the world is like palpable because of like the atmosphere he creates. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And like, I think in this movie too. Yes. I do think like, yeah, that sort of like magical feeling is really good. I do feel like it's maybe a bad choice. To have the guy who made Home Alone direct, like, a sad, gritty musical adaptation about a bunch of people dying of AIDS. It's not the call I would have made. Right. It was like somebody, some, some, like, producer who was unfamiliar with the musical of Rent just heard musical adaptation and they were like i don't know give it to columbus like right that guy's good at like splendor it'll be fine and nobody read like okay but it's a musical about aids yeah, and about like poverty 
and struggle. So maybe not the guy who's known for like childhood hijinks. Maybe not that guy. Yeah, because like there's because like somebody pointed out on the Rotten Tomatoes, like imagine if Spike Lee made this movie. Oh, boy. Right. Like another director, very familiar with New York, loves shooting in New York. Very much a grittier, yeah, more real. Like the Spike Lee directed Rent adaptation, I would go see in the theater a hundred times. Like that would be amazing. Yeah, there's, definitely- but it would be different. It would be sadder for sure. It would be devastating. Like not to say this movie isn't. Like I definitely still cry over this movie. Oh, for sure. But like, there's definitely like a romanticized aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely romanticizes the struggle of everything. Yeah. In a way that like doesn't do justice to the history of it all, I feel like. Totally. And part of that is on the musical too. Oh, like, absolutely. Like it's a musical that's going to be It's yeah. Like all musicals have like a weird romanticization of everything yeah. because that's just musical. They're escapism. That's just how they work. Right. How they work. But like I definitely like think that there were parts of this movie that were washed over with a lens that didn't do justice to the devastation that this, that the AIDS epidemic took on our community. Yeah. Cause that, that we have to talk about. Yeah. Cause like for how big this friend group was, and of how many of them were infected, not enough of them died. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. For how big this friend group is, like, as grim as it sounds, you're right. Like, more people should be dead. Yeah. Because, I mean... Like, I get it. Like, again, it it's a musical. You don't want to make it... Yeah. Like, I get it. And, but, like... AIDS was a genocide. Yeah. Like, it was an absolute genocide. And, like, I feel like, especially as someone who works with kids and interacts with a younger queer generation, Mm. the fact that we lost so many people and lost, like, we lost an entire generation. Mm -hmm. To the point that this movie was a gay awakening for so many of us because we didn't see it the Mm -hmm. way that kids see it today. Yeah. And, like, I feel like I want to see this movie done by a queer director. Yeah. I love this movie. I love this show. I think it's wonderful. I want to see a retelling of it from a queer lens. Mm -hmm. Because, like, very much how, like, Minneapolis feels like the queers are a lot straighter. Mm. I feel like as someone who has lived in a very queer city that this story, like as queer as this movie is, it could be so much queerer and be so much more true to the queer experience Mm -hmm. than it is. Yeah. And I think after it's 2022, we deserve that. (laughs) Honestly, and like, I also like. Would you rewrite the music? Like, if you were in your like fan billionaire uh, fantasy, 
if you're just like remaking this movie, do you take the same music and you just like give it to a director and hope for the best? Or do you have someone like actually rewrite it? Because like this movie takes place in 1989, which is not the end of the AIDS epidemic, but is is less in in the age where there were treatments right. and there were there were options and there was something being done right i think it would be interesting and probably less fun as a musical if you just set this movie 5 years earlier right, right. like the early 80s where we're just like actively ignoring it yeah and we're basically saying like good i hope all you faggots die yeah is basically the like official government response is like great good news gays are dying like i think that's a much different movie and i think it's a much truer movie it is and i think it is you're right a movie that would be much truer to the queer experience of of what we know right the the AIDS epidemic to have been I think see because it's so hard because like I like it's the I love the story and I love and I think being truer like doing a version that's truer to like the marginalized queerness of it all and not just like a white queer lens Mm -hmm. because Jonathan Larson was a white man who mm-hmm. like like that is right. the lens he is writing from. Right. And don't get me wrong, I love Jonathan Larson. I think he's brilliant. I love his work. And like Rent is such an epitome of his work. Mm-hmm. And I think the music and the grunginess of the late 80s is so essential for him as an artist mm-hmm. that like taking that away I would change would change it for sure and I don't know like I don't think it wouldn't be rent if you change totally it, it, it would, would be, be something it'd be something else and like I think that a lot of my I think a lot of my problems with the movie, could be solved by putting it back on the stage and seeing it on the stage again. And I think that a lot of my problems with it is definitely that it feels, it kind of has that gentrified feel of it, of like making it palatable for the mainstream. Yeah. That was a lot of people complained that it was like too slick. Yeah. That it wasn't, didn't look grimy enough that it looked too... Yeah. Too glossy and slick. Yeah. Which is a fair criticism. It is. All of Chris Columbus's movies have this almost kind of inhuman slickness about them. Yeah, everything feels like glossed over. That almost makes it feel like a comic book or something. Yeah. Almost like animated in a way. Right. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I just... I have a like I I don't know Chris Columbus's sexuality or his life, but it like very much reads as like a straight telling of a queer story. Totally. And like even though this movie will always hold a place in my heart and like was such an important building blocks on my own queerness, mm. I feel like we deserve better. Yeah, totally. And I, I I've been thinking I think about this a lot of like if you were to make like an updated version of this 
And honestly, like, you could do a lot of it in casting. Yes. Like, here's my thing. What if we take this musical, we basically don't change it, except we give it, like, the Hamilton treatment, right? Yeah. Where we, like, gender fuck everybody. Yeah. Where, like, Collins is a trans woman now, and... Uh, Mark is a trans man and Mark Ro- is totally a trans man. Oh, totally. And, you know, Roger is like, you know, Roger's bisexual, ace, a gender like, yeah, uh, you know, and, uh, you, you know, just like that's why he doesn't like Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, doesn't it work? It, like, it totally works if you make roger just the like i'm ace i'm an art gay like i'm here because i like to make music i just want to play my guitar and yeah <laughs> like you i was playing guitar and you, you just came, in, came here in here and like and ruined I my vibe was doing a thing and i'm not interested in this what i am interested in is this here guitar <laughs> wow we gotta talk about the the Benny of it all. Fuck Benny. Basically. Fuck um, Benny. Class traitor. Uh, all landlords are bastards. Landlords are leeches. And oh, the thing, the thing specifically about Benny is like, there's nothing worse than a class traitor. No. You know, it's like if you're raised in privilege and you never see poverty and you never understand the struggle, then you can get through continuing to to propagate that system without ever thinking critically about it. Right. But if you're a person who comes from struggle and comes from poverty, and then the first opportunity you get, you use it to extract goods, like extract value out of other people who are dealing with struggle and poverty, like... Why is your instinct not to help them? Right. That that makes you evil. Yeah. Like, that means that in your heart, the only thing you care about is money, and, like, you've never cared about people. Yeah. You cared about people because they could give you something. Yeah. And now you just want them to give you something. Yeah. It's fucking awful. It's horrible. And it's like, there's no one worse like i i feel this way about almost any type of person who comes from a discriminated class and then through whatever process of alchemy is no longer yep they are then the most insufferable person on the planet my my prime example of this is when people lose a ton of weight when people become thin they become the most fat phobic of any person you've ever met. Former fat people, not all of them, let's make that very clear. Former fat people are, are the, the worst. worst. Most fat phobic people yes. I've ever met. Yes. Almost without exception. Yes. Like maybe they don't maybe there are some that aren't, but like I have never known that to be the case. Yeah. No. It's and it's the same thing with former poor people and, like, even, like, reformed gays, you know, who are, like, the most awful and homophobic. I mean, it's because they're, you know, hiding. 
But, you know, and the same thing with Benny. It's like. Yeah, no. One, who turns off people's power the day before Christmas? Right? Go fuck yourself. Fucked up. That's evil. That's just mean. Also, shouldn't New York, a city with significant winters, have some kind of law about not being able to turn off people's power in the winter? You would think. Because, like, Minnesota has that law. Yeah. I mean, maybe in 1989 they didn't, but... They should now. And, like, especially, like, this was where you used to live. This is, like, you know this community. You know... And it's not just, like, a random community you picked out on a map. This is somewhere you were involved with, that you spent time with. And you're just like, ah, fuck it. Let me make my own thing here. Right. Because I don't actually care about this community. I don't care about these people who helped lift me up who helped me succeed, who helped me get out of poverty. I only care about my continued success. Exactly. That being said, well-established, fuck Benny. Mm-hmm. But also, I love his vocals. Like, I have always, like, his... Yeah, his voice is beautiful. His voice is gorgeous. And I think, like, Tay Diggs is phenomenal. And mm. I will, for, like... I adore him and I his voice has always been one of my favorites and he does a lovely job. Yeah. That being said, I will also die on a hill for Jesse L. Martin because Jesus fuck. Yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. Collins breaks my heart every fucking time I watch this movie. Like, Collins and Angel's relationship is incredible. Yeah. And I adore them. And I want it. The reprise of I Will Cover You gets me. Every time. Jesus. Every time. Yeah. I never really put it together until like a couple years ago how important Indina Menzel had become in my life as characters. Because of this and Wicked. And then Frozen eventually. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like how many characters of hers have I related to over the years? Her voice her should voice. be studied in a lab. Uh, there's a documentary coming out about her, and I'm so excited. Cause she's incredible. She's insane. And I could listen to her sing constantly. Yeah. Well, and luckily she's been luckily for you, she's been in so many musicals, you probably could. I could! Oh my god. <laughs> I was oh. Yeah, she's incredible. I love her and I I'm so excited to I, I'm so excited that she's like not just disappeared into Broadway where she's inaccessible. Yeah. And is, there's so many incredible actors that like no one even knows exist because they only do stage and, and like, like it's so inaccessible. And to it's people. not their fault cuz like I want to like Yeah. It's so like movie musicals are tricky and like capturing what musicals are on stage on film is so mm-hmm. difficult but i'm such a fan of them yeah because there's like theater is so inaccessible right and, and it's a class thing it's a class thing it's like actually if you're a class not thing. of a certain class you can't afford to go to the theater it's also a location thing right if you don't live in a big city yeah right. there's no way right like just because you live in the middle of Ohio and you don't have the means to fly to New York to go see a Broadway show right. doesn't mean you shouldn't get the experience. Yeah. I had an actual fight about this with a friend in high school. 
because I was like, yeah, I'm a big fan of musicals. I watch all the movie musicals that come out and I listen to fucking soundtracks. And he was like, oh, well, that doesn't count. Go fuck yourself. And yes, I was it like, does. no, you're a fucking classist rich boy who doesn't appreciate the privilege that it takes to be able to have your parents drive you four hours to Chicago to go see and then pay hundreds of dollars to go see a music like to yeah. go see a stage production. Like I can't do any of those things. No, like do all musicals need to be turned into movies? No, but you know what they can do? Start filming fucking musicals from stage. Like what they did with Hamilton on Disney. Yeah. Fantastic. Into the Woods has a great uh, films uh, version of the stage production. Like make theater more accessible because it is one of the I love theater as an art form and it's so incredible mm-hmm. and it just like it's such good storytelling and musicals have been such a f- great form of escapism for so many years yeah and it just like let people enjoy it and yeah don't make it a class thing uh we gotta talk we you talked about it briefly but I want to spend some more time talking about Angel and Colin's relationship yes because, like, part of it is that, you know, the whole theme of the movie is, like, everybody's dying. Right. So you have to do everything, like, as hard and fast as you can because, like, you might only get right. another few days, right? Right. But the way these two love each other in this, like, you know, head first, like, total abandon, like recklessly obsessed with each other way is like truly like relationship goals. Like the way these two love each other so hard and like, no matter what the other one needs, they'll do it. You know, it's just, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. And also the like fundamental queerness of like, Collins never questions it at all. Like it's not even like a like Angel's gender never an issue. Not even like a concern. It's not even like a thought that crosses his mind. There's never a conversation about it. It's just Angel. Yeah. Which like, as a gender fluid person, is just like amazing. Please to have people just like take you at your word and not right. And like no matter how you're presenting, love you and like understand who you are as a person. Cause the way everyone like fluidly is okay with just switching back and forth. Right. Between he and she, depending on how angels presenting like amazing. It's incredible. And like the absolute power of the joy and love that Collins and Angel have as a queer couple of color. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Angel dies. And yes, it's still a barrier gaze trope. Right. Which is trouble. Which is trouble. But also like with the subject matter, it's gonna happen. Right. <laughs> so like, I can forgive it a little bit more. We'll come back to barrier gaze. Right. Um, But like having one of my first queer couples scene being so healthy and like so crazy about each other in a way that wasn't like conditional conditional was incredible yeah and like 
especially when you have the comparison to like Joanne and Maureen mm-hmm. and you have like, or, you know, Mimi and Roger, where you, like have these intense relationships, but like the absolute unconditional love that Collins and Angel have for each other is just like, I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's incredible. And like it holds up after all of these years. And it's like one of those things that like they just like are so wonderful together. And like the way they move together and the way that they interact with the world together is absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And I love them and will die for them. Speaking of dying, let's get back to barrier gays. Yeah. Because I think that, I mean, not this movie specifically, but, or even this musical specifically, but like AIDS in general, I feel like is responsible for a lot of the barrier gays trope. Yeah. I think a lot of people's only experience with gay people is seeing them die on the news. Yeah. Or for a long time was yeah. the only experience with gay people. Um, and I also think that w- one of the legacies of the AIDS epidemic is this idea that there's something inherently risky about being gay. Yeah. Like, I've heard this in the year of our Lord 2022, right? That, like, there's some inherent, whether it's a disease risk or a lifestyle risk or a suicide risk, right? Like, there's always this message from the culture that there is something dangerous about being gay. And whether or not people know it, I think a lot of it is because of AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all the more infuriating because so much of the tragedy of AIDS could have been avoided if anyone had given a fuck. Yeah. Right? It's like you actively enacted a genocide on our people by not providing us with medical care that we needed. And then you blame us for having an unhealthy, unsafe, disease-riddled lifestyle when it's your fault that we all died in the first fucking place. Yeah. And, like, I don't think... I, I, I cannot be overstated how much gays who were born in the 80s and 90s grew up in this massive shadow... Of just, like, not having gay elders. Yeah. And of this constant refrain of the fear of AIDS and the reminders of AIDS. And, like, you couldn't come out as a gay person in 2003 when I did it without someone telling you you were going to get AIDS. Yeah. The quote-unquote unhealthy fear hearts about being queer are have nothing to do with queerness. <laughs> And everything to do with the st- how straight people interact with us. Right. Because it's not 
we have a higher suicide rate because of the laws and the people right who don't accept us right not because because we can because we can't be ourselves and uh, you know people kick their kids out when right they're they find we out can't they're be gay ourselves. when they're we teenagers get kicked out we you know like we <laughs> We have a harder time finding housing. We have a harder time finding jobs, like all because of systemic. It's not our fault. Oppression. Yeah, it's not our fault. It's not. And like I thought for so long and I fought for so long that I wasn't queer. Because I was so sure it meant I was never going to be happy. Yeah, I totally get that. Because. I never saw it anywhere. Right. I never saw it anywhere. There was no examples. There was nowhere to look. Everyone was miserable. There was so much fear and anxiety hanging over your head all of the fucking time. Mm -hmm. And it was so much easier. So much easier to stay in the closet and stay miserable and stay safe. Yeah. Totally. And it makes me absolutely furious that we're still having this fight Mm -hmm. and that like me being openly queer and openly trans and doing my best to show my kids that like you can do whatever the fuck you want and still have that happiness Mm is considered predatory and grooming. Right. Because I'm trying to show my kids an option that I was not given. Right. Just because you exist. Because I exist. Because you exist and teachers like you didn't exist when you were a kid. Right. Yeah. Like. (sighs) Because they would like for us not to exist. Like that's the goal. Right. Which, like, of course it's terrifying having that over your head. Yeah. And and I also... Keep, and, like, I feel like having a narrative like barrier gays constantly in the media and being in the media is just another tool to keep us dead. I was going to say that exact same thing. I uh, the note in my notes says ev- having every story, having every gay story be a tragedy contributes to self-destructive thinking yeah right like if the only gay people you ever see are unhappy or dead right then like you're gonna assume the only fate allowable for you is unhappy or dead yeah and like i tried to choose dead multiple times it does not stick (laughs) well yeah one i didn't really make it stick i didn't really commit you know anyway kind of commit harder to the bit next time but yeah, I think you're right. I think it it absolutely contributes to a lot of the suicide and the self-destructive thinking because it's impossible to see what being a happy, fulfilled gay person would look like. Right, which is like the whole conversation around representation in general. Right. Because like as someone who never sees themselves in media, as like it is heartbreaking to feel like you will never belong anywhere. Yeah. And that like your story and that your choices are never valid. Yeah. 
we need to get straight men out of film. There's just, <laughs> they've had enough time. They've had enough stories. Give some other people a fucking chance. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, in general with everything in life, but like, yeah. I think, yeah, in general, like in the culture writ large, if, if cishet uh, white men could just like take three steps back. Fuck off for a while. And just like give the rest of us some like thinking room for a while. That yeah. would be really helpful. <laughs> really helpful. <laughs> do you think, and like I'm willing to, I do not think there's a correct answer to this question. Do you think that Mark's relationship to the unhoused people in his community is like predatory class tourism because he is also poor and they're only not homeless in like a technical squatting sense right yeah but also it does have this kind of weird like oh it's even called out by someone Mm -hmm. in the movie who says like i'm not your fucking like this is my life like fuck off this is my i think mouse like I think it's not just the houselessness and the houseless community that Mark has an interesting relationship with. I think it's pain and trauma in general. Hmm. The thing about Mark is Mark seems to have come from a supportive-ish okay family. Right. Mark is an artist. Mm -hmm. A lot of artists have been told that they need to suffer for their work. Yeah. I think Mark tries to focus on suffering to try to be interesting because I don't think there's anything else going for him. That's interesting. I think that's a good outlook to have. And you're right. I think a lot of artists get that toxic idea about like you have to suffer I think a lot of he like I don't think it's conscious. I think he does try and like it's a trying to shed light on suffering Mm -hmm. kind of move. But the way Mark is always hiding behind his camera makes it feel like he's detaching from life and from dealing with his own stuff. By focusing on other people's issues. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just the houseless community. It's also how he interacts with the life support group Mm -hmm. behind his camera. Totally. And I think that it's a way of... Mark has the most privilege out of the friend group. You could argue that. You could argue that. Like, he is a white cis seemingly heterosexual man in this movie or at least heteropassing exactly he's also hiv free h like he doesn't he's not suffering with aids and is the one who's able to move into corporate in a lot easier way right i think it's a lot of trying to mark uses other people's issues and trying to use his camera to lessen his guilt around his privilege Mm. wow yeah. Instead That's a great of take. doing the internal work of dealing with it and like. Wow. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. That's a great take. 
you're absolutely right that he doesn't confront his privilege at all and the fact that his parents still fucking call him right. on holidays and like that he can have these you know corporate connections and he can be the one who's bringing in the money and he never examines all of that stuff to be like hmm interesting that I'm like the only hetero passing like you know right. white hetero passing man in the group and also the only one who has a job. Hmm. I wonder what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I because like Mark has always been a character that like has rubbed me in a weird way. Mm. And like, do you think this is like um like a author self insert thing? Yeah, I think so. I, I <sighs> Because author self insert characters very often have like this sort of detached because th- that that's what authors often right. are. Right. Yeah, I also like Mark's autistic. Definitely. Um and like there's that. There's that. And like I think Mark could be such a more interesting character <laughs> if he had a personality. <laughs> um yeah. like any personality at all. Yeah, and I think Mark uses his camera and his detachment to fill a personality role and like just is there like Mark's there as a character to narrate everything. And I feel like is detached because he like, he's the straight guy telling all the queer stories. Yeah. Because he's the one who survives. Right. Which doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't feel great. No. I think that there is a distinct, you know, this is anthropology of girlhood. Yep. And sometimes, especially with this season of the show, I think we sometimes get away from that a little bit. But there is a distinctly, I I think, a distinctly femme feeling in this movie. And maybe I'm wrong. You can argue with me about it. Um, and that feeling is encapsulated in Out Tonight. When Mimi sings out tonight, there's this like desire to be perceived, right? Like not even perceived as hot, not even like to have people be attracted to you, but just to like be seen. Yeah. And maybe I didn't feel that feeling when I was still in the closet because I was hiding and I didn't want to be seen. Yeah. But it does strike me as like a particularly femme feeling i mean granted she's the stuff that she is singing about is you know i want to put on a a tight tight skirt skirt and and flirt flirt with a stranger is like okay mood yeah i i don't mean that being a slut is a distinctly femme feeling that's not what i'm trying to say I, no, but I but do like, think there is like something here that this is capturing. No, I totally see what you're saying. And I like, I agree that like there is, I mean, fuck, this song used to be on my pregame playlist when I was. It's a great pregame. It's such a great pregame song. I think Mimi is just like a great characterization of femme personality that we, yeah. we have. And we have like such a good variety of femininity in this movie absolutely which i really love like we have like fucking joanne and maureen's mixture of butch and femme yeah is incredible and i love their costumes and fucking joanne's vest 
in during Take oh, Me or Leave Me. Jeez, that whole like, outfit, outfit with the like high waisted pleated oh, slacks. God, I want that Damn. outfit. Also, can we just take a moment to appreciate Joanne? Because fuck Joanne. Yeah. Because oh my heart. Um, but I really like like the high femme energy of Mimi. Totally. And I think there it's a like powerful high femme energy that we don't always get totally and like the ownership of her sexuality in a way that we don't always allow high femme people to have without like shaming them for it exactly like and in a way she does sort of get punished for it in the you know yeah but like yeah yeah but again it was made in 2005 and my standards are not as high as they are now (laughs) yeah so we've established that this movie came out when I was like tw- 11, 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And so when I first sat down to watch this movie, my mother skipped over out tonight and wouldn't let me see it, which like. That's adorable. Yeah. Also considering like your childhood and stuff. It's right. like, really? Yeah. Which like, I was young. I get it. Don't want to have that conversation with me yet. Whatever. I don't think I do not think twelve is too young to have I that conversation. Don't think so either. It's awkward, but like seventy percent of being a parent is awkward. Yeah. You also my mother's feminist stances when I was twelve. Uh, tricky. Were tricky. Yeah, definitely very second wave feminism. Mm-hmm. She's done a lot of work since and I'm real proud of her. Uh but watching it again, the queer awakening that is Rosario Dawson Ooh, in out tonight. Yeah. Oh boy. The amount of sexual awakenings that I have gone through through musicals in general should have said a lot about me as a person, I feel yeah. like. Because there was also Queen Latifah in Chicago. Yeah, Grayson and I just watched Chicago the other night, and we both said the exact same thing. Like, geez, oh, smoke God. show, Queen Latifah in Chicago. Jesus. Just, like, when people ask me what my type is, it's Queen I tell them in Queen Chicago. Latifah in Chicago. Like, attitude and all. Yeah, all of it. All of it. But yeah, out tonight is like such it's such an interesting number because it also like I really related as a younger queer and like as a femme queer at the mm-hmm. time, really related to wanting to use my femininity as an escape in a way as like I could see that as a way to like blend in and like feel like I belong somewhere. Totally. And I feel like Mimi's desire to like flit in and out of nightlife really like captured some of that feeling in a way that I like couldn't really voice at the time. Totally. And I don't know. It's it's a banger too. Yeah, it's really good. Also it hits on and like this is such a niche thing. This is for fucking no one. It hits on this feeling There's a line in that song that, like, speaks to my producer heart where she says something about, like, I'll get you in for free. Like, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know the the doorman. We can get in for free. Right. The immense amount of power. Yes. That comes with being able to get someone in somewhere. Absolutely. Being able to be like, it's cool. They're with me. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me what it's great oh boy 
Yeah, it's amazing. No, nothing ma- makes me feel more powerful. I mean, like, there's a lot of parts of, like, producing a thing that are, like, really cool. But being able to be like, no, they're cool. They can come in. is like, ah, I am a god in this kingdom. <laughs> and that's, like, I mean, that's the same, like, being a regular at a bar. Feeling, right, exactly. Right? It's that, like. You get special treatment because we see your fucking face so much. Right. We should talk about the biphobia in this movie. Yes. Because, because it's bad. It's bad. The fucking. The, the trope. The trope of the promiscuous bisexual. Yeah. It's trouble. It's, it's plagued our community for decades. decades. Perhaps centuries. Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't doubt that. Third century CE queers were complaining about these goddamn bisexuals who just can't pick a side. <laughs> I have zero doubt that that was happening. No, it's been fucking happening forever. <laughs> and like the fucking cackle that Benny gives when he finds out that Maureen dumped Mark for Joanne. <sighs> yeah. First off, the fucking misogyny of it all. Right. That, like, you've been replaced by a woman. Right. You must have. The sort of inherent misogyny of a partner that you have dated dating women, which is, like, obviously women are the inferior choice. So you obviously fucked up. So you obviously fucked up in some way. Yeah. Yeah, Which. That's horrible. That's awful. And, like, the, like commitment phobic yeah constantly flirting non-monogamous shaming yeah it's just like i love maureen i think maureen is an incredible character and like such an interesting character and i really wish that anyone at any moment was like okay this is just who you are and I understand that, and I'm not going to make you try to change for me. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about various kinds of non-monogamy. Yeah. Right? Like, clearly Maureen is not a person who takes well to monogamy, and that is fine. Which is totally fine. Everyone is allowed to have their own, like, set of gender rules and or, like, relationship rules and boundaries. But, like then don't get into a committed relationship with a person who desires monogamy. Right. It's just not fair to either of you. Cause you're going to, if you didn't have this fight now, you were going to keep having this fight right over and over until the end of always time. It's going to be women and rubber flirting with you. <laughs> it was always going to be a problem. Precisely. Sorry. That is like one of my favorite, favorite lines that like there will, there will always be, be women, women in rubber, rubber flirting with me like Jesus, i like I, that we both knew the exact <laughs> intonation and everything it's so what iconic dorks are we jesus christ again Idana menzel just like iconically playing characters in my life yeah the like drama queen that is marine Maureen like speaks to me on like such a petty level totally her characterization is interesting and like I do hate how like selfish they make her seem yeah but like the way that she's introduced through Tango Maureen is so phenomenal I think yeah of like having that she's always kind of 
a myth and a legend and isn't like ever a real character in a way that mm. I think is like interesting because she keeps getting put on a pedestal by her partners in a way. Because she doesn't get a solo song, does she? No. She's always singing. No, that's not true. She's got her weird performance. Her performance piece, but the... sure, but it's not like It's not like about a na- her. No, it's not a narrative song. Right. So yeah, it feels like she's always kind of playing antagonist antagonist at worst or second fiddle at best yeah to someone else in their number about her yeah she's definitely like a variation on a manic pixie dream girl i feel like totally for sure because like most of mark's characterization is his breakup with maureen right and yeah his dealing with maureen dating a woman yeah and it's She's a performance artist who has been, like, jerry-rigging her own shows. Yeah. And, like, self-publicizing and, ha- like, a weird, eclectic artist creature. Like, I want to know this woman. I want to be this woman. Right. Like, and I think the fact that, like, her whole character is just surrounded by so much fear and so much hatred for who she is. Yeah. It feels really crappy. Yeah, it feels really bad. It it definitely seems like if we were to do this this rewrite that we were talking about, well, that would be the first thing to go. Yeah. It's all the biphobia stuff. We'd pretty much have to rewrite both Mark and Maureen to have an actual character. Yeah. Because the whole thing with them is literally just the breakup and the fact that she goes on to date a woman. Yeah. It's just like, it's a very like 1990s idea of like a queer community. It reminds me a lot of friends and Ross's ex leaving him for a woman and that whole subplot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm sure we've seen this in a sitcom. I've never watched friends, but that sounds like a thing that would happen. It's awful. I think I've heard of this before. It's yeah. Like there's a whole, like it's a whole thing. Like it's awful. Also Ross can go fuck himself. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of things that like should have been solved with like a simple conversation, like the whole thing with Roger and Mimi in the whole like first and second act of this movie where he's like, I don't want to, I have a complicated and dark backstory and so I'm not willing to be vulnerable enough to fall in love. Like, just say all that. Just say all that. Yeah. Roger and Mimi piss me off. I'm not going to lie. Mimi is 19 years old. Yeah. Roger is, is in his 30s. I assume. I think they're supposed to be in their like late 20s, but still. Doesn't make it better. The anthropology of girlhood rule, people under 25 should not date people over 25. And like, I get that he's all broody and heartbroken and devastated by his life circumstances. But also, Mimi's blunt as fuck. Yeah. And like... Just just be like, look, no. Yeah. Or just say like, hey, I like you, but I have trauma, and so I have to go slow. That's all. You can even make a song about it. It's a musical. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, he's just like, no, guitar, leave me alone. I'm going to be an asshole to you for like weeks because I have feelings that I'm incapable of just stating them. Yes. 
because I'm a man. Yes. So I can't just state my feelings. I have to make the women in my life miserable with my feelings and weaponize them so that I make them everyone else's fucking problem. Isn't that what men do? It's precisely what men do. That's why I don't date them. I have no defense of myself. Look, <laughs> I get it. I didn't it. mean that to sound so accusatory. <laughs> I know. You motherfucker. Look, if sexuality was a choice, I would be only into women. <laughs> And non-binary people. I think a lot of people feel that way. (laughs) But unfortunately, I find men attractive. Yeah, I think like, I think that's another reason I like Collins and Angel so much is because they actually talk about their feelings. Right, exactly. And like, there's that whole scene on Halloween at Angel's funeral where both like Joanne and like where everyone's like, I wish I had a taste of what Angel had. And it's like, you could have if you communicated your feelings. Right. If you just talked to each other. Yeah. You could have. If you were just like actually honest. Yeah. Also, I just realized this because we're talking about the Halloween scene mm-hmm. and we're going back to our class trader, Benny. Benny is married, correct? I think so. And then he starts dating Mimi. Yeah. And I his th- wife. I thought is, about that too. His wife is never mentioned again. Nope. His money comes from his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trouble. Was it the Akita that broke them up? <laughs> Losing a family member is tough. Circling back a little bit to how life-changing this movie was, Mm -hmm. specifically La Vie Boheme. Oh, boy. Just to, like, to grow up as, like, I've always been a crazy lefty. Like, I've I've never not been a communist. Right. Since I was, like, became politically aware as, like, a 12 or 13-year-old. Right. But I grew up in, like deep red rural Wisconsin and I just felt so crazy I'm sure for so long that like so few people around me even the like progressive people in my life seemed like woefully out of date to me as a child to see something like this that was like so accepting and welcoming and like progressive and like unceremonious about all this stuff. Uh-huh. Like broke my brain. Absolutely. Like that you could not only consume marijuana, but sing a song about it. Yeah. Right? That you could not only like do snm but that you would love it so much you would want to dance on a bar and sing about it yeah and that that would be like a thing that would be okay for you to talk about yeah just truly could not grok that that could be a real situation i know and now it seems to me like so obvious right you know but like yeah as a 15 year old who just like thought i was out of my mind for being a leftist like it was so affirming yeah it's such a great number to just be like no be unapologetically you yeah which like you don't like and especially in a movie that's centered around queerness is so important and like so refreshing and eye-opening in a way that like you don't realize until you've gotten away from right. where you started. Right. And 
it is one of my favorite numbers in any musical. Yeah. And the way that it's performed in this movie, I think is absolutely wonderful and is like so full of energy and community in a way that just like encapsulates the queer community. Totally. It was just really lovely. Yeah. yeah. It's great and, and will be stuck in my head forever. Yeah. The way that it's like actively encouraging counterculture of any kind. Yes. Right? Like so long anything that's not culture. Right. Right? It's like when you grow up as a like trans queer neurodivergent person you have only very limited access to at least I felt this way. I don't know if you I guess I shouldn't generalize. I felt very much like I I only had a limited access to the culture at large anyway. Yes, absolutely. I felt like I only kind of ever had the option to like go my own way and do my own thing because I couldn't figure out what everybody else's way and everybody else's thing was about Mm -hmm. but to have someone actively say like no no not only is that not bad it's actually great yeah for me it was i don't understand this and i'm going to chase after it over and over again because i know this is what i'm supposed to be doing even if i don't understand it yeah so to have something be like no 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 stop chasing something that you obviously are not gonna ever get or that like you obviously do not fit Mm-hmm. Because like I kept I always had the, like I always had the feeling of otherness because mm-hmm. I never got what everyone else got. Right. And so like to be like, nah, you can be other and you can find other people who are also other and still have that community that you crave and that validation and that recognition mm-hmm. without having to change who you are. Right. Which is revolutionary. Yeah. As a child who never knew otherwise. Yeah. However, the poor server. This poor restaurant. (laughs) Every, like, I love this number, but watching it as someone who worked in the food service. Oh, my God. Stresses me out so much. I explicitly told you not to push the tables together. You're going to, okay, this, you're like, this. You're standing on. Tables aren't even in the same section. Now I'm having to take somebody else's You're erasing my menu off of my bar. Do you know how long it took the one girl in this bar with good handwriting to do that fucking menu board? Why are you dancing across my bar? Get your feet off my bar. You know we have drinks on that bar, right? I got to sterilize all that shit now. You're driving away my customer. I hate it when you all come in here. Please leave. You never the can pay. The owner won't let me 86 you. I want so badly to 86 you. Please leave. But we also get Mimi and Roger finally talking about their goddamn feelings. Kind of. And it's just a, I'm so in love with you. Like the whole song is like, we should talk about our feelings. Yeah, we should. I have a lot of feelings I should talk about. Me too. Big feelings. Oh, yeah. Big ones. Feelings. We should talk. And then the song is over. And they don't talk about their feelings. They just say that they have them. I should tell you. Yeah, you should. Do it right now. Right now, do it. While you're talking, do it. 
go. Yeah, that made me crazy. It makes me, yeah. And then, of course, they break up because they don't talk about their feelings. Don't talk about anything. Riddle me this. Why do so many musicals have songs about Santa Fe? Why do so many musicals based at New York have songs about Santa Fe? Right. Weird. What is it about Santa Fe? I mean, I think like the thing that's underlying here, like I don't know what it is about Santa Fe, New Mexico specific, but the thing that's underneath here, right, is like I think there's always been this distinctly American idea of going out west to reinvent yourself, right? There's also this idea of city people that, and especially New Yorkers, one of the most expensive cities to live in anywhere. Right. That everything would just be easier if you didn't live in the city. Yeah. Which it's not. not. (laughs) It feels that way because it's so expensive to live in the city, but it's expensive because it's objectively better. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't yeah, there's there's just always been this like distinctly American like go out west, start over, reinvent, like have make a different set of choices than the set of choices that you've made in your real life. Why does that sound so familiar? Right? <laughs> this was not supposed to be a call out post. <laughs> but we did both come out as trans and then move to Seattle for seven years. <laughs> did I run away to the West Coast to reinvent myself? Maybe. Me? Was it a choice based on musicals? I'm not saying it's not. Not no. no. But yeah, that makes sense. Also, uh, we talked about riding public transit a lot mm-hmm. in the last couple of episodes. Santa Fe is such a good number to show how real transit works in cities. You just don't pay attention. Like everyone else is like, everybody, they're singing and dancing. Okay, whatever. Yeah, people are just like reading their book on the train and everybody's, they're like, whatever. This is normal. At least it's not fucking mariachi. <laughs> right? It could be worse. Could be a mariachi band. Also, I love Santa Fe. I think it's a great number. It's mm-hmm. and like and what's the number called in Newsies? Santa Fe. <laughs> is it also called Santa Fe? It is. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Let's do a lightning round. Let's do a lightning round. Do these idiots pay rent once a year? Right. That seems so irresponsible. <laughs> it seems like a really dumb idea. <laughs> like, there's no way I would ever. Be responsible enough to set aside enough money throughout the year to pay my lump sum rent at the end of the year. There's no way. No way. Also, what if I had gone a whole year without paying rent, you bet your ass I would not be prepared to pay a year's worth of back rent. No. Like, Jesus. Because it seems like that's supposed to be the situation, right? Is it Benny said they could stay rent free and then took it back and then takes it back which is the whole inciting incident for the whole movie right but like also that opening number is so good it's so good it's so good and just like the visual of everyone burning their eviction notices as they fall to the ground is just I love that this movie taught a generation how fucked up landlords are. Yeah, right? Oh, it's great. 
Also, speaking of that first number, there's a line that, like, there are so many, like, little lines. I forgot how good the lyrics are in this and, like, how fucking brilliant Jonathan Larson is. But, like, the two lines from Rent that always get me are, how do you document real life when real life gets more like fiction each day? Which, like... Feels very real in 2022. Feels very real in 2022. It's, like, literally fascists trying to take over the government. And the other line that always gets me is, how do you leave the past behind when it keeps finding ways to get into your heart? It reaches down and down deep to tear you inside out until you're torn apart. And it's, like, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. True, but ouch. But ouch. Yeah. This movie is like such a young person movie. It is. Like, as I know I said earlier that like teens shouldn't watch this movie, um, but it has such a like that propulsive feeling that you have when you're like 18 to 24 of like, there's a whole world out there and I just want to fucking put my footprint on it yeah absolutely it's like so perfectly captured in like the sound in the feeling in everything and and a lot of it is the music yeah yeah. i feel like tick tick boom also has a lot of that feeling Mm. which like tick tick boom is like also about facing your 30th birthday so like i get that like trying to hold on to your youth and like i maybe it was just the choice of actors that made them seem older. I feel like this movie would have read in an interesting way to have them all be like 18 to 24 yeah, and like have them all be like Mimi's age and like be that reckless. Yeah. I think it works a lot better that way. This is like such a tiny point, but like my favorite thing in a musical is when we're just like having a dialogue, like just advancing a story And we happen to be singing. Yes. I love it. And whenever you convert a musical, a stage musical, to a movie, those are always the first things to get cut out and just turned into regular dialogue scenes. Yeah. And I hate it. Yeah, there's a lot of good numbers that get cut for this movie. Like the, the... life support number the life support numbers and the stage production are phenomenal it's amazing because the whole thing is sung yeah and in the movie it's just the like round part at the end where they're singing but i I love that's one of my favorite mine too and halloween uh oh yeah 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 the number around halloween is also phenomenal right and just like is a dialogue scene. scene. Yeah, it sucks. My appreciation for Angel to have to make the biggest entrance that they possibly oh could is... <laughs> what a dramatic ass bitch. I love them. Also, there's like, during their number, they do a jump from the floor to the top of their table. Yes. In like four inch heels. Yeah. It's like a... And like platform heels. Yeah, and it's like a solid like foot and a half jump. That is a hell of a high jump. Do you think he had to train? Oh, absolutely. That's a big jump. That that whole number is so athletic. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. It's incredible. And you can't help but fall in love with them in that number. No. We see the poster on the wall uh, in their apartment. This universe has its own version of the Rent musical. Did you catch this? I did not. (laughs) How have I never caught this? In the apartment, um, before it gets cleared out, there's a poster on the wall. It's the poster for Rent, the musical. But instead of Rent, 
It's called Mute. But it looks exactly like the Rent poster. (laughs) So this movie exists in a world in which this musical also exists, but that it's called something different. I love that. That's amazing. I haven't really ever... There's a scene, um, Tango Maureen, oh, Tango Maureen, where they're basically just like trading stories about right. Maureen. And like, I've never done this with someone who was currently dating someone because honestly, I think talking shit about someone's like current partner, even if they're your ex, is kind of eh. not okay. You talk shit about them privately, but, you know, it just yeah. feels weird. But man, if you get Joanne and Mark in a room together after they've broken up. The tea that they would <sighs> spill. Have you ever done this? Have you ever like had had a kiki with someone who you have a mutual ex and you just rip the shit out of that mutual ex? Because let me tell you, it is one of the most satisfying experiences a human being can have. <laughs> No, because I date terrible people and none of their friends are worth talking to. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, no, I dated this really horrible girl once. And yeah, she was really horrible to a bunch of people. And uh, one of these guys reached out to me and was like, hey, this bitch, right? And I was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I love the friendship of Joanna Mark because like I think that there is a like our mutual respect for the other one that like they don't get from Maureen, mm-hmm. which like, again, I blame on her characterization and not her as a person. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would love to be on a fly, a fly on the wall of that conversation. <sighs> yeah. Because fuck. Yeah. It would be brutal. It'd be harsh. This is a little thing, but like, man, I'm so mad at baby boomers for ruining the economy because like I would kill, literally kill to be able to time travel, but only economically to a time when you could live in a big city affordably. Oh my God. You know? Oh my God. To live in like, not live in the seventies, but live in the seventies economy. I would like to be able to pay rent and still be able to afford to food. like work part time even oh and like be God. able to like work part time and go to school and support yourself. Like, none of these bitches have jobs. Yeah. None of them have jobs. Like I get they're not paying rent, but like none of them have jobs. Right. But they're still eating. They're yeah. still like they're still getting by. We three of them have jobs. We will be reasonable and say three of them have jobs. Mark has a job. Mimi has a job. Joanne has a job. Yeah. Collins has a job. Collins yeah, is a Collins teacher, is, yeah. which is another reason I'm absolutely in love with him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this might be controversial. And it's my favorite. <laughs> I love this movie. I love this show. Don't like the ending. Yeah, it's kind of trite. It feels rushed. Yeah. It feels rushed and it feels... It feels like half. Yeah, it's not super. No, it's definitely a th- it definitely kind of leaves a bad taste, especially after the first half of the movie is and the the show are so good. Second after intermission is just not. It's just not there. That being said, the final shot of Angel 
turning their head and looking <laughs> every time. Tears every time. Every time. Yeah. Automatic waterworks. I do not know the answer to this question. I'm genuinely curious if you think this is real or if I'm just like making shit up again. Do you think there is increased pressure or I guess decreased pressure on queer people to marry and commit in order to like pass in order to like fit into sort of a heteronormative mold i think it depends on where you live because i think you could also make the argument that because like the whole children situation is a lot more complicated there could be less pressure I feel like it depends on what kind of community you're in because mm-hmm. I feel like like back in Seattle or if I was in New York, the pressure would decrease and it would feel like I was allowed to be mm. my weird queer self and not commit into a heteronormative like storyline because there is more acceptance of different stories and different lifestyles. Sure. But if I was back home and was in a community that was more quote unquote traditional, yeah. fitting into those expectations, I feel like would be more pressure and to like prove that I belong, even if I vary in some way. Totally. I just thought that was it just a. Yeah. No, it's a good question. There's just so many little things in this movie and in this show that are like tiny little earworms. The one that I'm specifically thinking of that I think all of the time, I don't think I've gone four days in my life since I saw this movie without thinking to myself, I got to, got to, got to, got to, got to, got to find a way. It's just, it's always in there. Got to, got to, got to always a little voice in the back of my head. I always think about Moo with me. <laughs> Come on, Moo with me. I don't know why that's the line that always gets me. Uh, but yeah, there's so many like good little stings in this entire movie. And it just gets stuck in your head. And I listen to it on repeat because my brain just wants to hear it over and over again. Yeah. You know, the messages in this movie are like a little muddled, I think. Uh Uh-huh. But I think one of the messages that you can really take away from this movie and that I think is like the most important about this movie is that sometimes just being alive is enough. Yeah. Sometimes just living is a revolutionary act yeah and sometimes it's the only one you have and that's fine